You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric DeSoap here. It's exciting to have so many episodes because that means we get to circle back to some of our favorite past guests, and that's very true of somebody today. Jessica Howard is here. She's one of the original OGs of NLCLA, helped found the chapter, always has good takes on current events, and in particular, she's got some good takes on the recent USC and all other college admission stuff. So let's get to it. All right, Jessica, so tell folks why your insight on this admissions scandal uh, is worth us having you on for. What's your connection loosely Uh, to these kind of things that are going on? Sure, and thanks for having me back. Um, I worked in USC's centralized undergraduate college uh, office of admission for uh, several years earlier in this decade. So um, I was actually involved in a lot of the nuts and bolts of the process of reviewing applications and hopefully making a lot of students really happy and hopefully not crushing too many dreams. So when the story breaks last week, anything surprised you on your first read through the story? No. So, okay, that's worrisome (laughs) to some degree. Why were you not surprised by anything? Uh... So one thing I wasn't surprised by um, is just the general concept of wealthy families getting special attention because of having additional resources to hire consultants or counselors or things like that. Um, And that's always been the case. It's something that I've always felt kind of somewhat slimy about. Um, A lot of the uh, private schools that have great counselor to student ratios tend to discourage that. Um, And it still happens all over the place. Um, I wasn't surprised that they would pay either, unfortunately, um, because the, you know, quote unquote, side door he was offering um, is actually a lot cheaper these days than donating through university advancement and development and um, having to spend $10 million, probably at minimum uh, for something or, or to buy him a brand new uh, building for any one of your uh, colleges on campus. So believe it or not, unfortunately, those numbers that it looks like uh, these parents paid are more affordable than what a lot of university development pathways to hook you up outside of the traditional admissions process uh, usually require. So any though surprise on just the outright level of fraud, whether it was test takers or photoshopping a kid's head onto an athlete or, you know, <laughs> someone serving as the kind of one and only gatekeeper to USC's athletic uh, admissions department, kind of making these decisions. N- none of that surprised you either? Uh, you know, I think the photoshopping heads onto, <laughs> onto athletes, it, it was sort of, that is the absurdity of that, I guess, <laughs> okay. surprise you. Um, but I guess our technology is that good. Um, you know, I think in, some people may have been surprised by some of the schools that were involved. Um, and maybe perhaps something that is surprising that while the NCAA and Division One sports have always had to deal with some degree of, um, you know, discretionary issues and folks not necessarily towing the legal line, um, other division sports, uh, Division two, three, people haven't necessarily paid attention to that um, in, to see if any sort of impropriety is occurring. And um, perhaps it was surprising to folks um, that, you know, really could happen at all levels. 
But also, uh, it's not really surprising. There are lots of different ways that you can game the system, unfortunately. And uh, there are even a lot of them that don't cost any additional money except being wealthy enough and, um, you know, uh, having enough access to privilege that you get extra tips and a lot of background knowledge that a lot of families uh, just don't have in their normal education environments or communities. So in terms of policy prescriptions to fix this, let me ask you this question. If you could ban either preference for legacies or preference for athletes in an admissions process, which one would you choose if you only had to pick one? <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Um, Unfortunately, both of them are tied to lots of revenue for universities. Um, I would say that in the immediate term, having legacy admission greatly reduced, if not entirely um, uh, erased, would probably make a bigger difference um, because the student body overall can be, you can be a legacy student who wants to play a sport or not, or lots of other things. Um, so it probably relates to a broader, uh, broader number of students. However, I think any policy prescription has to make sure that you aren't just taking away something problematic, but looking with um, better informed intentionality at your current policies otherwise that have interacted with what people now want to point out is problematic or frankly illegal in some ways. Hmm. What do you think should happen to the students in these <laughs> cases at these universities? Well, you know, I was thinking when you asked me about the Photoshop question, I guess if a student wouldn't know that their face has been, you know, uh, digitally superimposed on someone else's and they may have no idea. Um, but, you know, any student who participated in posing and pretending they were doing something uh, there is some degree of, hate to use this common word now, collusion in that. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of ways and reasons and records of students getting into schools that baffle other people that they were able to, um, you know, uh, matriculate to a school of that rigor, whether it pertains to their academic record, their testing um, lots of things like that. And there's a lot of hidden reasons why that is the case. I would hope that a young person would uh, pay attention to anything that seemed kind of out of order like that. At the same time, they're a young person and they may have no idea of the machinations that are happening um, behind their backs in some cases. Um, also, at the same time, though, as a number of the universities have pointed out, when you submit a college application, you also sign and or digitally indicate that, to your knowledge, everything you have submitted is true. And at the very basic level, having done that and then um, things being untrue means that from the beginning, perhaps you uh, shouldn't actually be allowed to pursue that education at that school anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you feel like the the kingpin of all this loan operator, or are there other kingpins doing the same thing who found other side doors who are going to be found out in the next 12 months? <laughs> that's a good question. I think this one was found out because of some other securities case, right? And this, and uh, someone got leniency for spilling the beans on this. Um, 
I would be surprised if there was rampant, um, you know, illegal behavior around payments of this nature. Uh, I, it seems like the ringleader of this um, had really a national presence. So um, I would, perhaps it makes sense or not, assume that he's maybe the highest profile ver- uh, person doing this, maybe on the broadest scale. Um, but I think there will continue to be people who try to pull strings in lots of different ways um, with uh, some of the avenues that circumvent traditional just academic performance, or extracurriculars, lots of other things that are in the application to get a child into college. And um, unfortunately, frankly, I think there are some things that people might take advantage of here. They might say, oh, I had no idea that legacy admission, they might know about that, but that athletics, um, even at division two and three schools, could be a way to get my son or daughter uh, into that college or university. So unfortunately, whenever anything like this stirs up, you get sort of like uh, people who may actually see it, that they could be even more discreet and maybe they could do that. I really hope that's not the case, but I don't think that this, these procedures that haven't involved money but maybe involved other kinds of leverage, I don't think they're going to stop today. Um, the other is that, uh, you know, in a way, people being so desperate to get into these colleges and universities further raises the profile and exclusivity of these colleges and universities. And many of them don't need that at all. Really, most of them don't, I think. Uh, But at the same time, it's kind of exciting to be wanted. And I hate to say that this may make people, again, think that the competition is so fierce. They need to, you know, lean in further to that as opposed to take a step back and say, what issues are there in the system and um, can we address them fairly and in a timely manner? Yeah. We come back and ask you a little bit more about perception of who gets into college and how they get into college. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Jessica, I think one of the, the painful things that started coming out, especially on social media and Twitter, were folks of color who we're sharing very personal and very honest stories of of their experience on college campuses when their white peers just assume that those folks of color got in on merit that was not their own, right? Through affirmative action or some other means. And, you know, you see these stats bubble up sometimes too on the perceptions that white folks have of, of uh, what affirmative action is in their own minds. It's just like some free handout giveaway. And if you're a personal color, you get into college automatically and these other kind of crazy things. Do you feel like this moment where that uh, table is turned a bit and all of a sudden people are looking at any white person of means potentially on a college campus and wondering if they got in on their merit? Do you think this is a moment in time when we actually could see some movement in a better direction and those perceptions might fade away a little bit? People will have better understanding of what's really going on or do you think it'd be more of the same? You know, I do think it has uh, revealed some truths that uh, were swirling around in the ether that people but people weren't aware of. Um, I think maybe people can see the matrix a little bit now. I don't know if that's a reference people even know anymore, <laughs> but uh, that, you know, there are a lot of ways that people can get into a college university and not quite deserve to, according to lots of other standards. Um, you know, when I left um, USC admission and for me, it was really a wonderful experience in lots of ways. I loved working with the students and families. 
Um, but I left because I saw so many pipeline issues of meeting students in, you know, one of the states where I recruited, Kansas. And, um, you know, she was fantastic. And I was so excited to read her application when it would come in. And she never applied because she never thought she could afford it, never thought she'd be able to get in. Or another student who, you know, in lots of other ways seemed fantastic, was great to talk to when I had visited his high school. And yet when I saw his transcript, did not have nearly the uh, preparation in terms of, here, I'll just use an example for engineering, with mathematics in order for me to be allowed to uh, accept him into directly into an engineering program, despite the fact that he might be a phenomenal engineer one day. So I think that um, it will hopefully... And the Harvard case, um, you know, the the other case that's going on that getting a lot of attention, hopefully will make people have a bit of a reckoning with their college admission process. Um, the pace at which any degree of prioritizing students for lots of different characteristics they bring, the pace at which we are doing that for students who are underrepresented at colleges and universities is so slow that for us to get anywhere near parity will take probably several lifetimes. So either way, we need to pick up uh, our game on this and make sure that we are more honest with ourselves, um, truly value, respect, and welcome the hard work and talent of students, and recognize that bootstraps don't always exist in the same way for people. Last thing, would you rather watch a movie of this scandal about the kingpin or about the person who was taking all the exams for people. This like, like like this test guru, right. Who could pretty much pinpoint down to the, to the decimal where he would score on an ACT or an SAT. Um, we do live in Hollywood, right. People are always thinking of screenplays and <laughs> you can't help but think this has all the trappings of, of a great screenplay. If you had to, to watch a movie at a, Either one of those, which one would you rather see? Absolutely. The the person taking the test or proctoring the tests. There's uh, there's so many things that you could investigate there. There's also, I think, quite a moral dilemma. They are probably not paid very well. And while um, you know having the integrity to proctor an, an exam that has such big implications uh, is quite important, I, I can only imagine the personal lives, the various um, dimensions of things going on there. Uh, also, maybe because I've actually read a lot about the Kingpin and I feel like I'm familiar with what his <laughs> strategy was. And maybe that's been more uh, shared more in more widespread way through media. So there's more to learn um, and actually hopefully more about local communities and what is behind this and lots of different perspectives by looking at the test taker or proctor. Yeah, good stuff. Listen, thanks for coming on. Appreciate your insights as always. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can catch all past episodes and there's a lot, over 120 or so. Find that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places. New episodes coming soon, so always stay tuned. Until then, take care. <laughs>